On Saturday, Lucinda and I had a fight. And then I went to Fort Greene to meet the lady who'd messaged me on Instagram. I took the G train. Lucinda says the G train used to suck, but it's like the F train now. Which totally sucks too, but now the G at least comes on the weekends. Usually. Lucinda says the G used to be called the ghost train. Lucinda will say something like that. It used to be called the ghost train. And then look down into herself, like it's beautiful and tragic that they fix the subway so the trains actually come more often. Beautiful and tragic is like her default setting since she started trying to have this emergency baby she's determined to have. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I got off the G and walked six or seven blocks to a brownstone that was across the street from a school. The school had a playground that looked like a prison yard, like they all do, and some guys were playing basketball there. They were high-fiving and pushing each other around and yelling, like being violent and dickish to each other is hilarious. I heard them a block away and got distracted, and as I approached the brownstone, I didn't pay attention to some cracks in the crosswalk which had just been filled in with tar, and I totally stepped on one of the cracks and ruined one of my brand new white vans. I knew Lucinda was gonna flip her shit over that and give me this big lecture about how shoes don't grow on trees, Miss Pris, and we're not made of money, and how I have to pay her back, even though her workout pants cost like $250. And it's like, can a person just have an accident or make a mistake? Not in Lucinda land, they can't. I wanna pause here and say I know my choice to go there was risky. I'm not blaming anybody else for what happened. I can't, it wouldn't be fair. I understand fairness, unlike Lucinda. Anyway, the names on the apartment buzzers were one Franchese and two Bigelow, and then the bottom buzzer didn't have any name or number on it at all. I rang all three buzzers and waited. Nobody answered. Then I noticed there was a garden apartment. It had a separate entrance under the stairs. I peered over the side of the porch and sure enough, it had its own doorbell that wasn't marked either. I went down the stairs and rang the garden apartment bell just to be safe. Nobody answered there either. It occurred to me that I hadn't actually asked her last name, the lady I was there to meet, which was stupid, I admit. All I knew was her Instagram handle, which was KathleenIG416, and her address. So, Maybe her last name was Franchese or Bigelow. But she DM'd she lived in this building on the fourth floor. And one or two isn't four, and the garden apartment didn't exactly seem like a fourth floor situation to me. I looked up. It seemed like the building might have a fourth floor, but it looked like it might have been an attic. It was hard to say. I thought for a second. I did stop and think. Because you're probably wondering, well, I mean, did she stop and think? Did she conclude that perhaps maybe this situation was totally sketch? She did. But, TBH, she also figured, so what? Because that handle, right? I mean, she had to be a total old with a handle like Kathleen IG416. Olds don't really understand what it's like for us online. I mean, Lucinda and Mitch, they're so totally impressed with things like beauty retouching and filters that make you look like a dog that they would never understand what a thousand likes on Instagram means, like socially. 
And they still think important shit happens on Facebook, which is totally Nopesburg. And because they don't get it, it's super easy to see if somebody's old and pretending to be young. I mean, have we learned nothing from To Catch a Predator? Sorry, shitty circumstances call for shitty jokes, but seriously, there was nothing creepy. She didn't ask for pictures of me, and there was no, like, sexting or trying to get me to open up about my effed up home life and then meet up at a hotel in New Jersey or anything. And her story is just all her own pictures and stuff from her gallery shows or openings or whatever. People in black drinking champagne and looking intense. Contrary to what Lucinda and Mitch think, you can't live life in total fear. Not everything is a lie or a trick. I still think that, even now. The thought occurred to me that maybe whoever lived here in the other apartments was sick or work nights or something. Maybe everyone, even Kathleen, was asleep. That didn't seem likely at 12.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday, but I did think about it before I rang all the buzzers again. Still, nobody answered. I started to get nervous. I was still glad I hadn't told Lucinda where I was going, though. She would have just terrified me and reminded me the world is full of monsters and left me there freaked out and afraid and gone jogging or to bar class or something. I looked up at the gray sky. No clouds, no birds, no wind, nothing. I imagined a post-apocalyptic Earth, just a big, lifeless, gray rock spinning in orbit around the sun. One of the basketball guys across the way shriek-laughed and broke up the mood. I looked grudgingly over toward him. He hung from the basketball hoop, long legs spread. He clanged to the ground, pounded his chest, and sprinted to the other end of the court. I wondered if I'd remembered the building number wrong. I pushed up my jacket sleeve to double check. I wore my pink short sleeve romper and gray windbreaker because the high collar on the windbreaker makes me look older and more mature, but it also makes me sweat like Ronaldo. I was regretting wearing something mature rather than warm though, because it's February and I was freezing my ass off Unlike the basketball guys who seemed fine running around in shorts, screaming and trying to impress innocent bystanders. One of them even had his shirt off, which Lucinda would have had an aneurysm just looking at. Those boys, not bothered by the chill in the air, not living at the mercy of weather, these shirtless, sweaty boys, can you imagine? But to be fair, she'd have made sure I was dressed warm enough, at the very least. Even if it did mean another argument. I know that for a fact. I shouldn't drag my mom. Sometimes I can't help it, though. Anyway, I wished I'd worn boots and tights instead of my vans and nothing. I'd written Kathleen's handle and address on my forearm in gold sharpie, just in case, and made it look like some kind of freeform temporary tattoo. That sounds weird, I know, but I'll explain. Lucinda has this annoying habit of looking through my phone and my chrome bag. She says I can have full privacy when I'm 18. So, I decided I'd hide the info in plain sight. And I might push my sleeve up at some point during my interview, and Kathleen would see it. I totally know how lame it sounds, but I thought it might make me come across as edgier or something, having a tat. There, it's out in the sun. I was trying to kill two birds with one stone. Look cool, not attract Lucinda attention. You get it. I knew that if she thought drawing on my arm in 
gold sharpie was just some artsy or tween thing all the kids are doing now, ugh, she'd ignore it. Because she expects that kind of thing out of me. It's like she only notices me when I'm not dyeing my hair purple, or when she thinks I might be within sniffing distance of some boy, because that is totally her, all over. I haven't spilled the tea about Rollo yet, and I don't intend to. I looked at my arm. Right street, right number, fourth floor. I poked around in the front pocket of my chrome bag to see if I had a lozenge or gum or something to chew on while I did some thinking on the stoop, but I didn't. It's a habit I have. It's better than smoking or jeweling, gag. I watched the guys over on the basketball courts for another minute, their elbows and knees flying, their laughs echoing off the wall of brownstones. Kathleen knew we were supposed to meet this Saturday, right? Maybe I'd gotten the date mixed up, but no. She'd DM'd me yesterday morning to confirm. She'd told me exactly where to go, that she was off the G, and it was, quote, totally up to me, she'd be there regardless, end quote. I needed to trust myself. Lucinda's always saying that. Trust yourself, or nobody will trust you. Even though she frets all the time and gets tied up in knots over the tiniest thing, dithers around like an idiot. And she lies, too. Let's be real. A police siren blared a few blocks over, the sound kicking me out of my head and back into reality. I started shivering and rolled my sleeve back down. Maybe I'd walk around the block a couple times to warm up. Maybe I'd just walk back to the G and go home. But I didn't want to do that. I couldn't do that. I need you to understand, I was so ready, you know? Ready for something magical to happen to me. What if Kathleen was real, and I missed out because I wasn't patient? What if she could help me realize my dream and I kissed it all goodbye because I acted like an immature little titty baby who couldn't wait five minutes? Important people own their own time. I could wait an hour or two, or a million, if she liked my stuff enough to hang it on her wall, or like on Instagram, or tweet, or retweet, and then other people would like it, and then... Well, then that could be my ticket. She has a lot of Instagram followers. Well, for an old. I decided to double-check her IG profile for her last name. I didn't remember seeing it. I would have remembered it. I should have just done that in the first place, I know. I know that now. I can see the holes in my story. Lucinda and Mitch are always saying that. First things first, kiddo. So I finally did first things first last and looked in my bag for my phone to pull up my Instagram. I was feeling pretty proud of myself, actually, for staying calm and logical and not wussing out. Until I pulled out my phone and the screen was black. I tried turning it on and it was like, F you, bitch, I'm not up yet. An ice dagger pierced my heart. I'd forgotten to put it in the charging station last night, obvi, because I was so excited about becoming the next Deanne effing Arbus. And I had neglected also to put it in the charging station that morning because I was fighting with effing Lucinda, who needed, at that exact moment I was escaping to the G-train, to tell me what a disaster my room was and demand that I spick and span the thing right then and there. I was like Cinderella, and my mother was the wicked stepmother of Windex, and yelling. That was our fight. That's what I was talking about earlier. A fight. Over a mess. 
Anyway, I sat on the stoop, feeling like a complete nard for forgetting the single most important thing about this whole meeting or whatever it was. The queen of Nardonia, to put a fine point on it. I stood up, kicking myself, and rang all the buzzers one last time. I don't know why, I just did. I mean, I knew at that point there was nobody home. I'd been sitting on the stoop and nobody came home. I was finally starting to consider the possibility that I'd been catfished. But then, a gray town car pulled up in front of the building. I got so excited I felt sick to my stomach, which was totally irrational because it might have been dominoes or something, but it wasn't. The back door of the car slowly opened. A small, older lady with pearl-white hair, wearing a black shirt with red polka dots and silver pants, leaned out and looked around. Silver pants, old lady, polka dots. This had to be Kathleen IG416. She looked crazy, but fun crazy, not whispered all crazy, with bedhead and a couple of dreads from not giving a fuck enough to brush her hair. She had a wiry little lady stash. I could see from up on the porch. She had to be Kathleen, had to be. She reeked of opaque wisdom and abstract ideas and basic wackiness. Definitely weird enough to take creepy but cool photographs. And canny enough to throw people off the scent of her true greatness and power and influence with that dumbest shite IG handle. And because I haven't mentioned them yet, her photos, they're so amazing. They seem simple at first, maybe even a little banal, but in every picture, there's this tiny act of violence that smacks you across the face. They're always of people, but don't feel quite alive or in motion. They're like death if death was a phase of life you just passed through before living forever, changed. Does that make sense? Anyway, they make you wonder what little tragedies and horrors are happening above your head all the time. They're like, here's this old ivy-covered building on an avenue in Brooklyn, nothing special, full of people and dogs, probably, full of tragedies and dreams like every place. But if you look closer, here's a woman leaning her face against the window, her whole face, and it's kind of mashed against the glass. In the early morning light, we can see that her forehead has some spots on it. Blotches. Maybe the blotches are shadows. Maybe they're bruises. Maybe they're blood. It started to all make sense. This was Kathleen. I knew it like I knew my iPhone security code. Ironically. She wasn't home to answer the buzzer because she was out at some art gallery thing or having brunch somewhere or at an auction or something. She probably owned the whole building. And it was one of these New York situations where an eccentric, ancient person basically sleeps on a couch made of stacked thousand-dollar bills in their attic, the fourth floor of their giant brownstone in Fort Greene. And the names on the buzzers are bullshit to ward people off their secret, fabulous life of art gallery openings and an actual honest-to-God chauffeur. And they're patrons of young women who want to get out and light the fuse to their fucking destiny sooner rather than later. And they are definitely not murderers. I took a deep, getting my shit together breath and stood. Kathleen stretched her little Reebok-encased feet out of the town car. Reeboks, brilliantly retro. Then turned her head back toward her driver. She said something to him I couldn't hear. She pulled her feet back in the car. 
Her driver got out of the car, came around and closed the door for her, and then he got back in the car and pulled closer to the curb. He came around again, opened her door, and gently helped her onto the sidewalk. They had an exchange I could just barely hear. Take care of yourself, something, something, Elnora. Elnora stuck out in my ear. He got back in the car, drove to the end of the street, turned, and disappeared out of sight. She watched him go, her back to me. Was her name really Elnora? I'd never heard that name before. I mean, it made as much sense as anything else at that point. Plus, it sounded way cooler than Kathleen. I don't mean to be rude if your name is Kathleen, but it did. I had to talk to her. Had to let her know I had arrived. Excuse me? I said way too softly, and my voice suddenly did that annoying thing where it kind of fell away at the end, like a balloon running out of air. Nard, table for one. I was like shart-level embarrassed, but I didn't want to miss my chance. And also I was standing up above her, on her stoop, like looming there, like an apparition or something, and I didn't want to seem creepy AF, especially if she wasn't Kathleen after all, which I had already decided she was. So I took a deep breath and spoke again. Kathleen IG416, I said, hopefully. She started and turned around quickly for an old person. She looked up at me and squinted. My face started smiling without my consent and my lips started quivering because they didn't really mean to smile and I was nervous. She cocked her head and just stared at me. I didn't know what to do. I knew whatever I said at that point would sound totally queer. Oh, hi. I'm here because this stranger, whose name I don't fully know, loved a bunch of my pics on Instagram, messaged me, and asked me to come over to this spooky house that you live in. I did this without my parents' knowledge because they would just freak the fuck out and say no because the world to them is just like one giant horrible accident waiting to happen. So, are you her? Because I totally think you're her. My hands went cold, and I seriously considered just turning and sprinting away, but then she said, in a soft, surprisingly elegant voice, I'm sorry, who? I was confused for a second. I mean, obviously. I'd made up my mind that she was who I was looking for, without even a single molecule of evidence, and then she said, again, softly in her down comforter voice, if they're not answering, you can call them from my home. And I was about to say, that's okay, I can just call her myself, when I realized I totally couldn't even call Domino's if I wanted to because dead phone, genius. She walked toward the garden apartment, keys in hand. She beckoned me down off the stoop. She fiddled with the wrought iron gate while I came down and stood a few feet away from her. Up close, her skin looked like tissue paper. Her arms were twigs, her back arced slightly in the center, like a turtle's shell. She unlocked the gate, held it open, then unlocked the garden apartment door. She took my wrist. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know what I was really doing at that point because how was I gonna call somebody whose last name I didn't know without a phone number? If I'm honest, I didn't want to go in her weird apartment, but I also couldn't bear to leave because I know this is crazy. I still believed she was who I was looking for. 
In my head, I was sort of marveling at how she was pretending not to be who I knew she was, how she had staged this whole little piece of fakery, like Banksy or something, and performed this persona with bed dreads and silver pants that was not Kathleen IG-416, but was actually Elnora, photographer mystic slash performance artist. Or maybe she was like the Alfred to Kathleen IG-416's Bruce Wayne, and the real Kathleen was on her way in a helicopter. Or even better, hiding somewhere in a luxurious secret cave underneath this unassuming brownstone in Fort Greene. And, and this is the piece de redic, I admit. I thought, if none of that was true, if worse came to worse, I could totally take her. I'm joking. Mostly. I'm not joking. I mean, she was like a hundred years old. And I'm almost 16, and I mean, it wouldn't have even been a contest. And then I pictured this sweet little old lady coming at me with a hat pin, or maybe like a letter opener, or big glass paperweight with colorful blobs inside or something, and me wrestling her to the floor of this hiding-in-plain-sight chamber of horrors, and that was so bonkers that I almost busted up laughing. But I didn't want to make her feel small or scared of me, if she was just a blameless little old lady, because she was being so darned accommodating. So I just buttoned my lip all the way up and let her lead me to God knows where. Lucinda would have given me a smelly sticker for my graciousness once upon a time. She'd also have hit me with a hairbrush for being such an idiot, coming here in the first place without saying anything. And as I was thinking all these dumb thoughts, Elnora, Kathleen, tugged me a little harder. And suddenly we were in the mudroom of her apartment. Her hand was like a dog's paw, insistent, a little scratchy from calluses. She said, I know there's a phone in here somewhere, come, and pulled me deeper in. And it dawned on me that I could charge up my phone while I waited. For Kathleen, for the real Kathleen, or for Elnora here to change into her Kathleen suit or whatever. I would actually have to show her the photos I'd been invited here to show somebody. And not just my Instagram story, but all my real stuff. All the stuff on my phone that's super personal and that I don't mean to sound stuck up is like actually pretty good and not just attention bait. And also, at that point, I just wanted my big reveal. I needed it to happen how I'd pictured it for a solid week. I needed the magic I expected. May I charge up my phone for a second, ma'am? I blurted standing in the little dark mudroom, suddenly spaghetti-legged. Excuse me, she said. I'm sorry, ma'am, what's your name, ma'am? She answered, Dorothy. And then, check it, she said, What's your name, ma'am? And rolled her eyes. And I was like, whoa, Grandma Dorothy's a little salty, but whatever. But I said, my name's Lydia. And then she said, Hello, Lydia. And looked at me for like eight entire seconds. Wordless. Like I was a melon she was checking for ripeness. And then she let go of my arm and walked out of the mudroom. She just left me standing next to some musty-smelling coats hanging on hooks next to the front door with a pair of muddy Wellingtons underneath. 
I looked around. Pretty standard brownstone garden-level layout, like my house. Mud room, leading to a little vestibule, then left into the actual living space. Ours has been totally renovated, of course. And Mom just turned the whole garden level into a playroom for a kid that hasn't even been born yet, swear to God. I was thinking about all this because I was a little scared shitless and about to wet my pants. I was like a potential festival of bodily functions. And I was cold, colder than I'd been outside because I was starting to freak out. I told myself to get it together. The room smelled dank and moist. But I noticed a little airwick air freshener on the floor near the doorway that led to the vestibule. That struck me as kind of sweet. And I thought, somebody who puts out a little Calypso Breeze air freshener near their stinky wellies wouldn't be the type of person to murder me, would they? And then I thought, well, murdered bodies probably put off some powerful funk, so like... And then I heard rustling coming from somewhere around the corner, deeper into the apartment. Or maybe it was more like shuffling, maybe like a deck of cards, or maybe feet through leaves in the forest. It was hard to pin down. But it went on for like a minute, and it made me very nervous, like something was going to drop into the collar of my shirt at any minute or something. Then I decided to put it in the sounds of coming home column, like when I put my chrome bag down and the thick buckle hits the wood floor. If you didn't know what it was, you could totally mistake it for a gunshot. After the shuffling stopped, I heard footfalls, heavy footfalls, heavier than Dorothy seemed capable of making, then a loud creak, and then a shunk like a door closing. Had she left? Hello? I called. No answer. Ma'am? Uh, Dorothy? I called out again. Still no answer. I looked down. There was a faded old oriental rug leading from the mudroom to a tiny little chair with a table attached to it in the vestibule. A telephone table. My Nana had one in her house. But there was no telephone on it, of course. It sat in front of a little door, which I guessed led to the crawl space under the front steps, like a total Harry Potter deal, just like in our house. Pro tip, everybody with a crawl space has heard the Harry Potter joke. Find new material. There was a lamp on the desk. A lamp with a shimmery green glass lampshade. And the lamp was on, and it put out this soft, buttery light that made everything seem normal and not thoroughly bonkers. I could have just left then. I should have just left then. But Mitch's voice went through my head. Dad's always telling me to follow through. Like, follow through. If you don't follow through, people will think you're a flake. But flaking in this sort of situation would be like, at least half okay, wouldn't it? Suddenly I noticed what I had been seeing all along but not recognizing. That if there's a little lamp on a little table by a little half door and that little lamp is giving off light, that means there's an outlet nearby. And that means I can charge up my phone right there near the door and then GTFO. At this point, you're asking yourself, why on earth didn't she just leave? And I admit, I thought the same thing at that moment. The apartment door was still open behind me. The wrought iron gate, too. 
I even turned away from the light for a moment and walked back towards the front door. I even thought, I'll go home and charge my phone and DM Kathleen and explain, maybe lie. No, I could just explain what had happened. I went to X building, rang the buzzers, little old lady in a car, yada yada, if you want to meet and see my work, come to my neighborhood. We'll go to like a freaking Starbucks. She'd understand. Adults with good intentions understand. It's not flaking if you could potentially be chopped up and fed to a monster, right? And then I felt like this muted presence behind me. I stopped. Thump, thump, thump. I heard from the basketball court outside. I exhaled, laughed, thought, ha ha, it's just the guys on the basketball court. And then I felt a little tickle like a feather drawn across the back of my neck. Who are you? Dorothy said, behind me. I turned around, looked at her and said, Lydia, and tried to polish everything into normal with a smile. Who? She said. That was like totally not what I expected. I looked at her again, hard. Harder than I meant. And she suddenly didn't seem exotic anymore. I hadn't stumbled into something magical. Dorothy wasn't going to get me established. Her pants looked like a kid's Halloween costume. Her shirt probably came from the Salvation Army. Her shoes were 20 years old at least. The leather on the toes was cracked and flaking. My face must have morphed into what Lucinda calls hate face because Dorothy said quickly and obviously embarrassed, Oh, oh, yes. How can I help you? That's when I realized she was just a sad old lady. Living alone. A nice, sad old lady. In like the dusk of her existence or something. And that's when I finally left. Okay, no, I didn't. I didn't leave. I should have. I totally should have. Ghosted. But she surprised me. Her gaze settled for a moment on the little telephone table. The phone, she cried, relieved to have remembered, I could tell. Yes, but, I said, it's here. I have it. Kathleen, you need to call Kathleen. I think I might even have her phone number here somewhere. And just when I thought I was out, she pulled me back in. She scurried around the corner, out of the mudroom, past the tiny hall table. Her body blocked the light for a second, dust particles swirling in her wake. I heard rustling again, like I'd heard before, only louder and furious this time, and another cloud of dust billowed into the vestibule. Then came her muffled voice. I know it's here somewhere. I walked forward, over the frayed rug. I looked up toward where there should have been a little window, at street level, a little rectangular window that lets light into the garden level. Instead of glass, though, the window frame held cinder blocks held together with concrete. My stomach dropped. Closer, I'm sure. Closer. I heard Dorothy say, softer, muffled more now, farther away. I couldn't tell if she was speaking to me or to herself. I looked to my left. There stood a huge, old, dark wood china cabinet, stuffed to bursting with a million pieces of yellow paper, blocking my view of the rest of the apartment. Not like legal pad paper, but old paper, rotting paper, yellowed and disintegrating, all different shapes and sizes, thrown in there in haphazard stacks. I paused. My stomach flopped over. 
I had to see what was on the other side of that china cabinet. I had to. Like I have to eat half the freaking baguette the millisecond I leave the store with it. The impulse was that strong. I thought for obvious reasons of this dream I have sometimes, which is a wish, again, obvi, that I walk into the subway station and instead of iron railroad tracks down there, there's a road. It's not a filthy rat piss road, like what's usually down there, but a smooth, sparkling road made of blue ice, cold and still, shimmering with microscopic flashes of light. Veins of blue and black glitter stretch its whole length into infinity, and there aren't dingy gray tile walls with occasional wounds of missing tiles or torn away decorations. There's only night sky with diamond planets and glitter stars twinkling. There's no train even, there's just me sliding along into the night sky alone with the universe before me like a giant black owl and I fly away. But I didn't find that when I turned the corner. Nopesburg. What I did find was like an actual Mordor of rodent-chewed refrigerator and air conditioner and TP and paper towel and moving boxes. As far as the eye could see, draped with moth-eaten sheets and blankets and tablecloths, surrounded by crumbling lampshades and cast-off lawn chairs and fireplace covers and clown paintings and vases and hat racks and deflated life rafts and inner tubes and clothes. Holy caramba, the clothes! It was like a marshal's exploded in this old lady's apartment. There were pants everywhere. Every kind of pants. Jeans, cords, chinos, yoga pants. Like, comfy go down to the bodega for milk pants with Tweety Birds all over them and like these slacks. I don't know what else to call pants that are made of like that unwrinklable material, but anyway, there were just dozens and dozens of pairs of slacks and stacks. It was totally whack laying on top of everything, which I'm guessing were probably ladies pants because they were in seriously every Pantone color ever. And then, like in and around all the stacks of clothes and home furnishings and like the entire warehouse of recalled items from linens and things were like board games and donut boxes and baby toys and spoiled food and accessories and kids books and water-stained paperbacks and stacks of dishes and what I'm guessing were old photo albums or scrapbooks or something barfing out shredded newspapers and stacks of mail personal letters, it looked like, and bills and junk mail and maybe six or seven thousand value pack coupons. And on top of those coupons sat withered plants, an entire zombie botanical garden of dead plants and plastic bins and a million coat hangers and jars of buttons and coins and coils of lace and silvery trim and blenders and mixers and ironically, like probably more than 15 probably dead dust busters within like a 10 foot radius. And speaking of dust busting, I looked up at the ceiling and it was like some Edgar Allan Poe House of Usher situation up there. Cobwebs, old cobwebs, big old nasty cobwebs, dripping with dust and hair and grossness and bug skeletons or husks or whatever you want to call them. Like, you can't even believe. It was rough, y'all. I started coughing. I felt like somebody was wringing out my lungs like a bath towel. I felt an asthma attack coming on. I do incidentally have asthma. And then I noticed way in the distance this beam of light coming in through this grimy little patch of window, like a transom window, like what should have been in the front that was now full of cinder blocks, only way, way, way in the back of the apartment. And it dawned on me, like, there were no walls in this whole place, just 
the little mudroom and the little chair with its little lamp on it and the little Harry Potter crawl space and then a whole pitiful old lady swallowing desolate abandoned city of garbage and neglect and waste down here in the dark with just a single innocent beam of light in the corner. It's just a regular old phone. I heard softly a voice wandering around beneath and behind the mountains of dross. Address book here somewhere. I called this lame, thank you, and wondered how she could locate this, quote, phone, unquote, which I wasn't so sure was an actual working phone, but was maybe like half of a set of trashed bookends or something. And and the address book, well, let's just say I was kind of dubious. And it occurred to me, if the phone was real, were there still actual phone lines anymore? I honestly didn't know, but it seemed doubtful. I actually think I'm just going to go, I called and turned back toward the mudroom and beyond it the door, the street, the boys playing ball. Dorothy didn't answer. That made me kind of nervous. Hello, I'm going. Nice meeting you. I called toward the pile, a little concerned now for her well-being, honestly, given that she lived in garbage and was currently, apparently lost in said garbage. And then suddenly, there was a groan. It seemed to start in the back of the room by the little sliver of sunlight, and then the whole crap mound seemed to shift. There was a loud, horrendous cracking sound, like an ice floe breaking free, I'm guessing, which gave way to a rumbling cascade of thousands of forgotten, worthless, cast-off things, and then a ginormous shockwave of every kind of particulate matter you can imagine. Dust, fur, hair, skin cells, dandruff, potting soil, poo molecules for sure, surged toward me and engulfed my whole head. My eyes stung. I hacked until I gagged, grasping my neck, and my nose felt stuffed with hay bales. And all I could imagine was a helm's deep rats versus cockroaches situation all around my feet and ears and soft parts. And all this was then followed by a really loud thunk. And then, silence. Are you all right? I called and hacked and sneezed and hacked more. More silence. Oh, fuck. I thought, fuck, 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 poor Dorothy. Poor smashed Dorothy. But then a small, trembly voice floated up from the wrecked heap. Yes, I'm all right. But I'm afraid I don't know who you are. And I was like, fuck, not again, Dorothy. Who are you? she said, fearfully this time, which made me feel like crap on toast and also feel not for the first time that maybe I might have made a few mistakes handling this thing. The dust still swirled around me, and I fanned it away from my face with my hands, my eyes watery like oysters, my nostrils like two smoldering match heads, and I pulled the hood of my jacket, which was ruined, thanks a lot, Dorothy, all the way over my mouth, and pulled the drawstring so it closed over my face with just like a little sphincter-like opening by the tip of my nose. It's me, Lydia. Remember? Dorothy didn't answer. My feet sweated inside my vans. A trickle of perspiration snaked down my lower back and out my romper. I looked behind myself, through the mudroom out toward the street. I could run. I should have run. Bashed open the door and flown straight to the G-train. There came a loud shriek. Then an animal guffaw and three hard bounces in a row from across the street. 
part of the pile closest to me, old newspapers and bundles of junk mail teetered and began to fall. I jumped back. Two bedposts suddenly appeared in the middle of the horde. My gaze rested on them. Bedposts. There was a bed under all this. And then my gaze rested on a green and gold glass desk lamp, this one off, the twin, I totally Nancy drewed, to the one on the little table in the corner by the crawlspace. And as the bundles of mail and old New York Times and Post and something called the Brooklyn Eagle began to tumble down, the lamp remained in place. I looked closer. The outline of a gigantic old wooden desk appeared right next to the bedposts, and beneath the desk, in a little cave, sat Dorothy, looking at me, like an owl, through some very thick glasses, blinking, wondering again, I supposed, who I was and what I was doing in her apartment. She clutched something in her hands. Who are you? She said again. My name is Lydia, and you invited me into your phone, in to use your phone, to call your neighbor Kathleen, maybe, but, but it's, it's not necessary. I'm just going to go. She poked her head out from beneath the desk. I could see the thing in her hands. It was like some kind of orb to go full-on nerd with you, maybe, like a really big paperweight. Oh, oh, you were looking for Kathleen IG416, she said, and smiled. And I gulped and started backing away. I was now totally confused and reasonably sure this whole thing was a murder mystery waiting to happen with me as the murdery, and I just needed to go. And then, as though she were, like, shot through with an arrow of understanding or something, she suddenly said, Why don't you just go on up? And suddenly, I'm not even joking, she was, like, in front of me. I didn't even see her move. Didn't see her walk. She just pulled a total paranormal activity speed levitation across the damn room and was standing right in front of me. Her eyes slightly below my chin, staring into mine. She jutted her chin toward me, removed her glasses, and nested them in her white hair. She licked her lips. She clutched the smooth black object close to her chest. It looked like a hand grenade in a bowling ball. It had an orb baby. She sniffed the air and grinned. The stairs are just behind you, she said. What are you waiting for? I turned around. The just was an exaggeration. The little table and desk and lamp were gone. The door to the crawl space was open, and a faint gold light illuminated the bottom of a spiral staircase I could just make out inside. Another loud thunk, this time from directly overhead. There was another cascade of objects, followed by a smoggy room belch of dirt and dust. Recognition crossed Dorothy's powdery white face. The corner of her mouth twitched in a half-smile, and she looked up. Is that Kathleen IG416, do you think? She said. And then there was another sound. Something overhead, something that wasn't a thunk, not a movement or a force or a thing shaking loose the reality around it. It was an approximation, an idea, a version of, of a voice. And that voice didn't sound like a Kathleen at all. 